Bring true in our hearts today. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, amen. <laughs> Happy New Year. I'm so glad you're here. 2020, the Roaring Twenties. Welcome to a new decade. Last time we had a Roaring Twenties, things didn't end up so well. Uh, I don't know if you know your history very well, but unemployment's at an all-time low. Things are going well. I hope things are going well for you. As we start a new year, my name is Ben, one of the pastors here at Hope. Today we're going to be in the book of Matthew, so you can turn or tap your way to Matthew chapter 25. Uh, that's where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, please don't panic. We'll have those words on the screen for you. I'd love to gift you a copy of the scriptures on your way out. Today, for 2020, I want to start off our year by asking a question the, the Bible asks I think even the Bible assumes that we rarely um, reconcile ourselves to. I, I don't know that we ask this question often or assume that this is true, but, but ask it with me, ready? This is in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says in verse 7, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? What do you have that you have not received? This is something that the Scripture sort of assumes, and I don't think you and I talk about it very much. From, from a human-to-human -human perspective, there's all kinds of things that are yours, that you have, that you earned. If I meet you on the street and you're holding a donut, I'm going to assume... You bought that donut, and it's your donut. At Hope Church, we bought that donut, and we're excited that you got to enjoy it. Was it good? Yeah, yeah like you didn't have one. You all had one. You all made resolutions. You weren't going to do it, and then you walked by, and it was Krispy Kreme, and so you got a cup of them, and I've seen people do that. <laughs> if I was you on the street and you got a donut, I didn't buy you that donut. Hope Church didn't buy you that donut. I'm just going to assume you are that donut. It's your donut. That's true about all kinds of things in your world, person to person. However, the Bible doesn't ask that question person to person. The Bible asks that question from God's perspective. And from God's perspective, it's a much different answer. What do you have that you didn't receive from Him? Well, now it's very different. You say, my time. What I'm going to do with my day. Oh, ha, 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 your day. How did you produce this day? How exactly do you own this day? Your time. Mm, interesting. Your time. How did you produce this time that it is yours? You say, it's my body. Really? Did you choose that body? Did you produce that body? Did you choose anything that had to do with the way that you are? I don't know. I don't know that you would have picked the body that you have. I would have taken a couple inches off the top. I'm a little too tall. I'd still be tall. I still want to be imposing. But I don't want to be this tall. It's hard. Airplanes, all kinds of stuff. It's not great. I would take a couple inches off. You had to make changes about yourself if you could. It's not yours. You, re you received it. It's just the hand you were dealt. You didn't pick the family or the time in which you were born. 
the, the place and the culture in which you were raised. You didn't pick any of this. You received it. It's not yours. It's his. And yet we're in the habit of always talking about mine or ours. Is it really? If it's something we've been given, if it's a gift, then we need to think about it as a gift. You all just had Christmas. You gave gifts. You received gifts. If you give gifts to your children, those gifts have stipulations. You're going to expect that they operate the gift as you intended. I have little girls. We got them like a little art kit, a little paint kit. Oh, that's great. But they can only use the paint kit on the kitchen table when they're supervised and there's wax paper down. They can't just use the paint kit to redecorate. We got them little nail polishes. You know who gets to do the nail polish? Mommy. Not everybody gets to do nail polish. You're not allowed to just paint nail polish willy-nilly. You're not allowed to drink nail polish. You're not allowed to do all kinds of things with it. It's only to be used as we specify. When my kids get older and we get them a phone, the first phone that we get them is not going to have internet. It's not going to have social media profiles. It's not going to have a lot of stuff. Why? They're not ready for that yet. So we're going to give them something, but if they abuse it, we just take it back. It's not theirs. It's a gift. We give it to them. And then we can, we give them a car one day. If they're not driving that car safely, they're going to hurt themselves, hurt other people. They don't keep the car. I take it back. They're managers of this car, not owners. It was a gift. I gave it to him, but I gave it to him with an expectation, a sort of an idea of how they would use it. You start to see then a problem in the way that we see ourselves, our year, our goals, our financial goals, our time calendar goals, our recreational goals, our family goals, our fitness goals, you start to see something that might be in conflict. Because he looked at you and your year and your fitness and your recreation and your ministry, and he said, mine. And you looked right back at him and said, no, 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 mine. Do you start to see a problem? This is something that we've got to address. If we're going to refocus for the year, if we're going to get ready for what God can do through Hope Church in 2020, we have to begin with understanding the, thing, the way things are. My goal this morning is not to convince you of anything. It's just to turn the lights on, to remind you of something that I think you already believe, if you're somebody who believes that God is the God of the Bible. And we're going to apply it to something that I think is the hardest thing to apply it to, which is our money. We're not starting with money because it's the most important. We're starting with money because it is probably the place where we most say, mine. It's kind of what money is. Money is this distilled ability to say, mine. You just walk into a store and say, that, 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 wrap it up. Yes, sir. And they go and they wrap it up for you. Why? Money. 
mine. Is it? Here's what the Bible says. Let's look at what Jesus teaches. And this is only one. If I had been more on it, I would have put together a slide that just shows you the different places in Scripture where Jesus teaches on money. Because he teaches on money way more than Hope Church teaches on money. So much so that if you're a guest with us this morning and you're saying to yourself, golly, I've come once before and I think they talked about money, then I can tell you exactly when you came. You came this Sunday last year. That's probably the last time I taught on it. So we would love to have you come back any other Sunday and hear about the other stuff we talk about. We don't talk about money nearly as often as Jesus did. And this is just one of the parables where he talks about the concept, not just of your money, because that's just one facet of it, but the concept of your saying, mine. And God saying, no, 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 mine. Matthew chapter 25, starting verse 14. Jesus is talking about the kingdom. He's talking about when the kingdom of God comes, when all things are ended, started new, judged, the, the, the moment when things kind of transition. Talk about the Lord coming back. He's saying the kingdom of God is going to be like a man going on a journey. He called his servants and he entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. So I hope you're understanding what he's saying. He's saying something like God has given to each of us certain things to manage. He's not, he's here, he's not here, he's, he's here. The king overall is going to one day come back and sort of stop all this charade. He's going to open things back up. But in the meantime, we're, we're managing these things, and this is kind of the story that Jesus is telling. And he's telling us how these people go about it. In verse 16, he says that he had received the five talents, went at once and traded with them. At once, he went and he traded with them. And he was able to make five talents more. A talent is a, a, an amount of money, and it's a large amount of money. God gave them five large amounts of money. And this guy went out and he traded that five, and he was able to make five talents more, double the, the investment. Verse 17, so also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of these servants come and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, addressing him, Master, you delivered me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. And his master says to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, if you've been somebody who's read through the Gospels, that, that phrase should catch you. That's what Jesus was hearing from God. That's what we will hear from God one day when we go into his presence if we're in Jesus. He's making that same statement to this good servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, and I'm going to put you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Don't miss that sentence. Enter into the joy of your master. He had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you deliver me two talents. You have made two more, as Master said. Great job. Good and faithful servant. Faithful over little. I'm going to set you over much. Come enter the joy of your master. 
Notice, what do they get? Does the master say to the servants, hey, great job, I'm going to give you 30%. Good luck. Or is what they receive for their faithfulness the master? The joy of being in the master's presence, receiving him. Notice that. That makes all the difference. Come into the joy of your master. And then we get to verse 24. He who had also received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I need to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I hid your talent in the ground. Here is what you have. It's yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed? Question mark? Not affirmation. Jesus, God, this master is saying to this servant, Oh yeah, if that was the premise, if that's who you think I am, not saying that's who he is. Verse 27. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers at least. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So, take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. What are we going to do with this? I'm just preaching Jesus. This isn't some little poem I came up with. (laughs) Jesus taught about this wild, heavy premise with this unexpected ending. And I want us to notice certain things from it and come to a conclusion about how God wants us to act with his stuff. First, It's his, not yours. The characters in this story are managers, not owners. Can you understand why that's important? Do you understand that the Bible is saying that you are a manager, not an owner of what God has given you? And what Paul is saying about what God has given you is that everything you have, it's all what He's given you. So over your body, over your next breath, you are a manager, not an owner. Do you see how that's going to start to make a difference? That is a basic premise in the Bible, and I don't know that that's what many of us think about our stuff. Ooh, see what I said? I said our stuff? Excuse me. About his stuff. About his kids. It's my wife? Yeah, I mean, it's still helpful to use that phrase. It's not just Rachel. She is. She's my wife. But not really. 
I'm going to be a manager. I'm not going to be an owner. Do you understand how that, through the centuries, has decreased abuse in the home? Where the church goes, people have to say to their wives, God made you. I'm going to be accountable to him for how I love you and how I serve you. His, not mine. Manager, not owner. Underline that in your brain. Then we have to understand that trust has to come before risk. Now, when I, growing up, read this parable or had this parable read to me, I didn't understand much about that last servant. I kind of took as the headline that if God's given you something, you've got to really work hard. Because one day, he's going to ask you what you did with it, and you're going to need to show something. And so you can either be humble and be like, oh, shucks, I don't have much, but I'll try and do what I can. Or you can really admit that you got some stuff going, and you're going to really try and use it to build the kingdom. And I always kind of thought that that was the, the lesson of the story, but... For that to be the case, you have to look at this third guy and say, what's going on with this conversation with the unfaithful servant and the master? I think the key to this is that gospel versus religion that we talk about all the time at Hope Church. The trust has to come before the risk. What do we mean by that? The two faithful servants understood enough about their master to know that he wants them to try something. To get out there and mix it up. To risk the money that he gave them to manage in order to have a return, a greater return, and have more money when he comes back. But their ability to actually go out and do that was based on their trust in the goodness of the master, their trust in their relationship to the master. Why do I say that? It's only as they trusted the master to be good that they'd be willing to take a risk because otherwise, if they actually thought that the master was like the third servant said he is, it's only because they trusted that he was a good master they could say, okay, I'm going to try this, and if it doesn't work, and if I lose, i got five talents. If he comes back and I've lost two of them, it's okay. I'm still accepted by him. It's not great. <laughs> Obviously, it would be better to have ten talents than two or three. But it's okay. They understood that the relationship to the master was much more like the gospel relationship that we see in Scripture, where God says that He has adopted us, that He loves us. And because He loves us, we can go out into the world and take those risks because we know that if it works out to His glory, we give it. But if it doesn't work out, okay. We were doing it for Him. And if it doesn't work out... We are still loved by him. They could risk because they trusted. Now, look at the unfaithful servant where things are flipped. The unfaithful servant does not risk because the unfaithful servant does not trust. Look what he says about the God, uh, the, the stand-in for God in this parable. The one who received one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. 
So I was afraid of you. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. And here you have what is yours. He's saying to the master, listen, I didn't get out there and invest, but that's you, not me. You're this hard man. Think about who he's talking about there. You hear the stories about, like, Bezos, the guy that runs Amazon. And people work like 100 hours in rooms with no windows and everybody trying as hard as they can and he's laughing as he's like raking in money and all of your information. <laughs> and he knows everything and he's got everything and he's ruling over the world and all these like little peons under him are you know, doing everything they can. Elon Musk, you hear about this guy that's making people work like crazy and he runs Tesla and SpaceX and all this stuff and he's, all these people are working hundreds and hundreds of hours and then Elon Musk is just reaping all the benefits at the top and he's going to go live on Mars and... You've got these industrialists that you can see, right? And this, this third servant is saying, like, to God, I think you're him. I think you're like those guys. Now, I don't know what those guys are really like. That's just some of the reports you hear. Please forgive me if you're some ardent fan of one of those two men. But he, they're saying that God is like that. That's what this, this unfaithful servant is saying. He's saying, I don't trust you. And because I don't trust you, I don't trust my relationship to you, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be safe and no more. I'm going to do what I think I absolutely have to do and nothing more. I believe you exist. I believe that you're coming back. So you can see this guy is actually a religious person. But he's saying to this God, I don't love you. I don't trust you. In fact, I'm scared of you. I did what I absolutely had to and no more. Why? Because he could not trust, he could not risk. When you get involved in religion rather than the gospel, your only goal is to do what you absolutely have to do to get back what you can. Your goal is not to love God and know him and be with him. Your goal is to do exactly what you have to do in order to get what you want. And you see this in the life of the Pharisees in the Bible. Because the Pharisees would have been great tithers. They would have given 10%. Jesus even said they gave 10% on the weeds that would grow up in their yard. If they had a weed that was dent or mill or cumin, they knew the street value of those things, and they would tithe on it because there's, there's just growing in the cracks in the driveway. They were good tithers. And the tithe, there's nothing wrong with that. I can defend that from Scripture. The point is that they were tithing in order to get away from God, not to get God. Do you see the distinction? How do we know that? When God actually came to be among the Pharisees, what did they do? They put him on a cross. They didn't love him. They despised him. It's all the difference in the world. What you do with the money that God has made you manager over, what you do with the family, the body, the, the relationships, the opportunities that God has made you stewards of, shows Him what you think about Him. It shows you what your heart really wants. Whether it wants Him or the stuff. In the new year, I don't want to get you too bummed out or anything, but we're going to do a series on hell. You excited? Is that one we need to do uh, handout cards for? You can go tell your friends. <laughs> it's going to be good, and we're going to talk about it. The Bible talks about it. We can't just not talk about it. It's going to be good, but it's going to be hard. 
But here's something I want you to understand about hell. This unfaithful servant chose it. I don't, I don't know how you can say anything else from this passage. What does the master say to the servant? The servant says, I buried it. Here it is back. I knew you were a hard man and I'm afraid of you and I was scared you were going to hurt me if I didn't do exactly what you told me to do. So the master takes that deal. Oh, you think that's what I am? Take what he's got, meaning what I gave him to manage and he managed poorly. He took it back and then he said to the guy, Bye-bye. Go. Go and have what you think would be better than me. Bye-bye. Do you understand that that's what hell is? It's God saying to you, okay. Because you have said over and over and over again, not you, God, not you, God, anything but you, anything but you. I want this, not you, this, not you, this, not you. And you're saying, I've never said that. Okay. If then I tell you, hey, here's an opportunity for you to give financially to advance the kingdom of God. And you go, oh, really? You know, I think, I think God is kind of a hard guy asking for that much. He wants what? My money? Ooh. Well, this is my money, and he's trying to reap where he didn't sow. He's trying to gather where he didn't scatter seed. Oh, he's a hard man, and I love money, not him. But because I'm afraid, I'll give him some. Really? Do you understand that that's you choosing money over God, choosing anything over God? And when you choose that, you're taking a step towards what is not him. And if he is all light and all joy, what's the place without him like? This is outer darkness that we're talking about, that Jesus is talking about. Do you understand why it's important for us to talk about this? Right? We're not just talking about how to make Hope Church like flush. We're talking about whether or not you actually know God. Do you understand that we are talking to the people who are very faithful givers with this? Oh, man. There's consequences. But also, risk is necessary for growth. So if we get away from the scary guy and the, the hellbound guy, and we go back to the two faithful guys, the guys that we want to be like, Look at what they did do. Because they knew they were loved by God, because they could trust in the relationship they had with this master, they went out and they did. They risked. And can I tell you that when you try to do something big for the kingdom of God, whatever that's going to be, and you're manager over all kinds of stuff, it's not just your money, but when you take whatever God's given you and you try to go do something big for the kingdom, it's going to be hard. It's going to hurt. It's going to be risky. You're going to have risk. Instead of being scared about that, can I invite you into the adventure of the faith? Can I invite you into the romance of the faith? How many of us like to watch movies or hear stories about accountants who are successful and they work hard throughout the movie, and at the end of the movie, they stay 
successful. You like those movies? They're making them by the ton, I know. No. We watch the movies where the hero has odds against him. And he has to go out and he has to kill dragons. And he has to rescue maidens. And he has to change the fabric of society. He has to make things better than they were. And it's going to hurt. And at the end of the second act, he's going to be dead. But then it all comes together. And then it's this beautiful story. That's what gives you goosebumps. Do you understand that's what God is calling you into while also giving you 100% confidence that he loves you so much and he's in control of everything so that when things actually do hit the wall, you're going to be okay. What could possibly be better? It's the adventure of being in a holy foreign place against all odds while also being at home with your dad. That's what he's promising and that's what these faithful servants saw and watched their investment double doing exactly what God called us to do, being like Jesus. So let's try and make it all the way practical. If then we are saying we want to take what he's given us, we want to manage it in a way that involves risk, but is all about giving his name glory. It's all about getting him at the end of the the deal. We're going to manage this stuff because it's his and because we love him. We want to enter into the joy of our master. If that's what we're saying, let's look at our prime example, which is Jesus. In the Old Testament, it is clear that the people of Israel were supposed to give 10%. That's why the Pharisees did it. In the New Testament, though, you see that that principle gets downplayed. It doesn't get dismissed. It's still active, but it gets downplayed. And do you know why? Because if you're living the example of Jesus, 10% is not nearly enough. Think about Jesus for a moment. Starts poor, lives poor. He goes his whole life by being obedient. And clearly, Jesus could have whatever he wanted, could, could choose to earn whatever he wanted. But instead of building up this giant war chest and then going out and doing big things that, that people kind of thought he should do, like taking over the Roman government, he had his last meal in a borrowed room. And when he went to the cross and the soldiers were uh, gambling over his stuff on who was going to get to take it home. Do you know what giant war chest he left? One garment. What he was wearing so that he wasn't walking around naked. If that's our example, what should you be doing with what he has given you to manage? 10%? I don't know. That's a good goal to work towards. But once you get there, what next? The Bible talks about being a hilarious giver, a generous giver. Why? Because it doesn't matter. I'll give it all. He can have whatever he wants. As long as I get him, oh, if I get him, then I get the joy of being with my master. And that's what I value. That's insane to the world. But it's not if you actually get to know Jesus. I hope, church, that's our goal. Our goal is to introduce you to him. To actually meet and know and be with and love him. If you will, then 
it starts to make sense. Then you start to get it. Then you start to do what Jesus did with what he was given. In Luke 4, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he sits down. He opens up the scroll of Isaiah and he reads a couple of verses and he tells everybody, Today, in your hearing, this is being fulfilled. He's saying, this is about me. Watch, I'm about to go do it. What verses did he read? He says this from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What should you do with this money that you're going to give to God? You should give it to Hope Church. I do not apologize for saying that. Why? Because Hope Church's mission statement is Jesus' mission statement, to proclaim good news to the poor. You say we're supposed to give our money to the poor. Fantastic. Do that. But do it the way Jesus did it, which was not saying the people who have more money or have less money are better off. He's saying the people who are poor are the ones who have or do not have the good news. So yes, Hope Church is obviously going to try and do everything we can to support the orphan and the widow and go out and find refugees and try and find people who are under addiction and do everything we can to try and help people. Of course, yes. But lots of charities do that and they do it better than us. What do we do? We proclaim the good news to the poor. We try to reconcile these unfaithful servants to the master so they don't go out in the outer darkness. Is that the kind of work that you want to be part of? The Bible is saying you're called to be part of that. So yeah, if you don't give anything to Hope Church, and if you're a guest today, again, it's not about you. We're not asking you to give anything. You want to give, great. We're not asking you to give anything this morning. We just want you to get to know Jesus. If you do get to know him and you have the trust in your relationship with him, then yeah, we're going to start asking you to be risky with your money. But before that, until that, we just want to meet you, help you meet Jesus. But if you do know Jesus, you don't give anything to Hope Church. Okay. Okay. Start with something. I'm not telling you a number. You have to decide what's in your heart to give. But start with something. Start somewhere. Ten bucks a week. 20 bucks a week? And when you've done that for a little bit and you found that, boy, I just had to sacrifice a little bit in order to, to give like that, then, then you can do a little bit more and a little bit more. Why? Because you want to take a chisel to the hardness of your heart and crack away and make sure that you're like the faithful giver, not like the unfaithful servant. If you're somebody who already gives faithfully, and by God's grace, we actually have a lot of you here. Can I ask you, to consider recurring giving, think about this. We just looked through all of our finances as we're ready for 2020. We're making sure that everything's going to keep moving and that we're going to be able to accomplish the goals that we have. And as we're looking at it, we see that really, really faithful people who give, and I don't know what you make, but seems to be sacrificial giving, miss several months in a, in, in a year. And I think what's happening is you're just forgetting can I tell you, you're lovely. You're very smart. But you do forget one thing. If you don't pay the electric bill, what happens? They send you a notice or they eventually turn your lights off. If you don't give to Hope Church, what happens? 
you got like 47 weeks, and then Ben preaches on money again. <laughs> I don't come around and beat you over the head with a mallet or something. Like, we just, we're encouraging you to give, and we should preach on it more. This is me being unfaithful. We should preach on it more. So instead of reminding you every 10 minutes and having this big thing about all they care about is money, just go online and set it up as a recurring gift and be free. Be free of that burden. Be free of that worry. And every week you're trying to figure out, do I do it, do I not? Can I tell you how much the enemy loves that kind of petty victory where he just makes you forget for a month to give? Let me tell you the impact that that would have. We've noticed a $7,000 a month swing just based on people forgetting to give. I know you guys are all rolling and 7000 doesn't mean that much, but to what we're doing at Hope Church, 7000 a month kind of matters. Like we could do some cool stuff. We're going to lose this year a lot of giving that comes from outside of Hope Church, people around the world that believe what we're doing and they're giving to help make it happen. That's going to trail off, which is good, it should. That means that we're going to have to hold up the weight of what we're doing in Salt Lake City. If you would just click that recurring button, all of a sudden it would get a lot easier. Now, from a spiritual perspective, also, give more. I don't need it. I get paid what I do or I don't. I don't need it. You need to give it. That's what the whole story is about. Can you start to grow in your giving? And if you don't know how, that's what this financial class is going to help you with. It's not going to just help you to give. It's not like six weeks of us telling you to give. It is six weeks, though, of helping you kind of get some order to your finances. That's what I need, too. I go online and watch little videos on YouTube trying to figure out how to budget better. We all need it. Sign up. It's going to be great. But remember, too, what we're really talking about. What we're not talking about is dollars and cents. What we are talking about is the very real state of your soul before God. Are you hiding from him what you consider to be your own, giving him what you think he has to have so that you can keep what you want? Or are you a hilarious, a generous giver? Because you know that what you really want, he's given you, which is himself. Lord God and Heavenly Father, I pray right now. This is a whole sermon. I didn't even tell people how to give. <laughs> We're not super concerned with the mechanism, with the numbers. We are concerned with the mission. We want stuff to happen. We want to preach good news to the poor. We want to see those that are imprisoned to addiction and abuse released. We want to see those that are imprisoned to religion meet God. But it's not about the dollars and cents. We're about your work and being with you forever. I pray that this morning you would release people from these preconceived ideas about money, that they would just give, not so that hope floats, but so that they can know you and start to open up their fist and release these idols that are in our hearts. I pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen. All right, amen. Well, friends, this morning we have just the great joy of a